can get started this morning if you would open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5 and uh, we're going to resume our study there of um, this uh, beautiful uh, see you later by Paul because that basically is what this is and he is exhorting young Timothy he has told him about 20 different markers of the last days he's told uh, told him that People will be holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. He's been told that people will be ever learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, which is connected to Daniel 12, knowledge increasing. He has been told that, uh, uh, in a manner of speaking, that the inspiration of Scripture will be under the greatest attack that it's ever been. Because that verse that we hang on to, all Scripture is God-breathed, is found in a prophecy dealing with the last days. And then he starts in chapter 4. It's his final exhortations. These are the last words, written words, done by Paul in 2 Timothy. And he has told Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. Because in the last days there are going to be people wanting their ears tickled. And he's now getting ready to give him four commands. And we see four commands, but there are four commands principles of ministry and so if we want to say what is ministry all about we can just take a look at it uh, here so the first thing let's take a just a moment for prayer to prepare ourselves to take a look at the word of God let's pray father again we are so amazingly blessed we are honored we're privileged just to be called your kids. And Father, we want to ask that that you indeed would be our teacher today. We come in your throne room to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. And Father, we always need your word. We need it in a greater portion. We need a greater understanding. Father, we need greater retention. And Father, we need recall. We need to be able to, to have it right there whenever it is tested. So, Father, we ask that all those things would come to pass uh, in part as a result of this verse today. We will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are Second Timothy 4, 5, but you. He is addressing Timothy here. He's just telling him straight up. He says, you. And the first thing he says, notice there are four commands in here, four pure imperatives that are found in this. And he says, be sober. This is the present active imperative of NAFO. And NAFO is basically free from the influence of intoxicants. Now, when you start tracking down words like this and you do topical studies and you start, you start finding out that it has more to do with spiritual sobriety than physical sobriety. Physical sobriety, of course, is a part of it. Because we don't want to spend our life under the, the heading of any, any intoxicants at all. So when it says be sober, it is looking primarily at uh, just free of intoxicants. Now what kind of intoxicants are there? Fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. Just a, just a generic uh, rendering of the intoxicants. Because every one of those, you've heard people that power drunk, drunk with power. They've got so much power that they... That they uh, uh, you know, think they're better than everybody else. They want to wield it. They want everybody to bow down to him. He says, he says, be sober. Here he is talking to Timothy 
And he says, sane. I want you sane as you go through this life. It's a spiritual sanity. In all things. So, what is it limited to? As we look at politics, sanity. As we look at economics, sanity. As we look at some of the basic things that we deal with every day of life, we say we need to be sane. We need to be sober. We need to see things clearly. We need to be able to make decisions wisely. So he says, in all things, all spiritual things, all physical things. And then the second command is, uh, I don't want to do that yet, endure hardship. Now, here's an aorist tense. It's an aorist active imperative of kakopatheo. Patheo means to suffer and kakos means evil, inherent evil. So the word literally, when it says endure hardship, the translation kind of tones it down a little bit. But it says to, to suffer inherent evil. Because kakos is inherent. Agatha or Beneros means it becomes evil because of its use. Like a knife can be evil or a gun can be evil if it's used improperly. But it's not inherently evil. This says you're going to run into inherent evil. You're going to be attacked by the sin nature of other people. By your own sin nature, you're going to face some battles here. Endure it. Decide that you're going to get through it. We're dealing with people across the ocean, around the world. Some of their pictures are on the back wall back there. And we hear stories that are uh, absolutely amazing. We've been blessed to be part of a distribution of Bibles in various countries. We just got some reports in uh, from one of them. And it is, um, it's amazing what they did and had to do to even get, uh, get the Bible in the hand of somebody else. What do we do if we want to buy it? We go down to Mardell's or Walmart. And we go buy a Bible. Nobody says anything. Nobody cares. That's all fine and good. What about just giving somebody a Bible, handing your neighbor a Bible? How is that going in a lot of other countries? Not well. Not well. But what, what is, are these things? Endure it. And we have people willing to endure it. And they'll figure out ways to, uh, to get these Bibles in the hands of those who are in need. Endure hardship. Many of them don't have uh, two sets of clothes. We ran into that in 93 with over 100 pastors showed up. They had little bags. Uh, some of them had bags. Some of them had just wrapped, uh, <laughs> wrapped their clothes in a shirt and tied the arms together to hold their clothing. And they had all the clothes that they owned with them. And they traveled for miles to get there. Endure, suffer, inherent evil. Then it says, do. This is poieo. It is an aorist imperative. These are actives, too, that says, you need to do this. You need to initiate these things. Don't let them be done to you. That's passive. You do these things. See, be sober. You take an active role in your spiritual sanity. It says, endure hardship. You take an active role in the endurance. Do the work of an evangelist, euangelistas, which is, uh, I love the word, it's a giver of good news. That's what it is. It comes from angelos, means to proclaim. The U on the front of it means good. So when you ask, what is the gospel? That's the word we translate gospel. What is the gospel? Good news. What's the bad news? You're sinners. <laughs> sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's what it is. That's the bad news. What about the good news? 
You don't have to be there. You don't. You can know where you're going to spend eternity. Not because of the word of man or the doctrines of any church, but because of the word of God that makes it very, very clear. And then he says, fulfill. This is the word pleirophoreo. Pleiros is a word that, that looks at, uh, in the verb form, it looks at the process of filling up. Now, that's important as we study be filled with the Spirit. It looks at a process. Okay, it, The phoreo means a carry a load, like a wheelbarrow load. Bring a full measure along with you. Fill up. So you have a ministry. What does it say? Your ministry. We know Timothy did. But in 1 Corinthians 12, 5, we find that all of us do. His believers. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. And varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things. So there are, there are varieties of ministries. Who basically assigns those? The Lord himself. The same Lord. Who gives the gifts? The Holy Spirit. Who works it all together for good? The Father. That's his, that's his role within the Trinity. So he says, fill up, bring a full load, satiate your ministry. Whatever, you've, whatever the Lord has assigned to you, do it as well as you possibly can. Now, four things. Sobriety, suffering, sacrifice, and satisfy. Four S's. Make it real simple. Four essentials of ministry. And these are given in the form of commands. Now the first one we're going to look at is spiritual sobriety. Sanity, if you will. You could use that S if you want to. Because that just means that you're not intoxicated by things you don't need to be intoxicated with. Seemed like there was a Christian singer a long time ago. If you ever noticed it's really weird to look back and say 40 years ago or 50 years ago or you know and we look back now and go because I used to laugh at those old people that made statements like that <laughs> and I'm one of them <laughs> so, you know here it is it says be sane be sober okay don't jump to conclusions don't run off on emotional binges don't do those things sane think through things Stop a little bit. Take a deep breath. Go into the Word of God. Pray about it. Seek what His will has to say. The essentials of the Christian life. And it starts with be sober. Interestingly enough, in this batch, when you look at these, because how are you going to endure suffering if you're ran around by your emotions? You're going to give up eventually. Be sane in what you're doing. Now, <clears throat> spiritual sobriety is essential preparation. Where did you get there? There it is. It's essential preparation for standing in front of the Lord. Be sober. We all know 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18 about the rapture. What happens? The dead in Christ will rise first. But then when you get into chapter 5, he is talking specifically again about the last days, qualities of that. In verse 4 it says, You brethren are not, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you're sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night or of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do. 
Now, Paul has changed in chapter 5 the word for sleep in the Greek. They didn't get it changed in English. But the word in the previous chapter is the death of a believer that is viewed as sleep. Oh, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And that's the picture. Those who have died in Christ, they are said to be asleep in that regard. But the next word in chapter 5, it moves to gregoreo, which is a word for being spiritually asleep. Let's not sleep as others do. Okay? Let's don't be spiritually intoxicated. Let's not do that. He says, but let us be alert. This is a word spiritually alert. Okay, not just awake and wandering through life. Spiritually alert. Have some discernment. Know what is going on. Know with the time frame that you live in history. And sober. That's our word. Let us be spiritually awake and spiritually sober. Because those who sleep do their sleeping at night. And let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Sound familiar? Like Ephesians 6, kind of part of the full armor of God. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. So encourage one another is what he says. The conclusion, build up one another, just as you also are doing. So being, being sober spiritually is essential preparation for standing in front of the Lord. It is also essential to experiential holiness. Now there are different kinds of holiness, just like there are different kinds of righteousness. Holiness means you have been imputed with the righteousness of God, and that is basically positional holiness. But there's also a holiness that is experiential. Be ye holy as I am holy. And that's what Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.13. Gird your minds for action, he says. Keep sober in spirit. See our word pop up again there? These are, these are not minor topics that you find in the scripture. They're important topics. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, that means one day all of us are going to stand in front of the Lord. Is it going to be during my physical lifetime, this physical lifetime? I don't know, but it, what we get from the Scripture is going to be fairly soon. But the question is, are we sober when it happens? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust that were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, it's essential to an experiential holiness. And this is not just the, usually people hear the word holiness and they, they immediately think of legalisms. Because I grew up around a, a lot of people and that uh, uh, threw the word holiness around and it was, you know, fraught with legal fraught I haven't used that word in a long it was full of legalisms had a full load of legalisms that were added to it don't smoke don't drink don't dance don't chew and don't go with girls who do that was the five basic rules of the Christian life and yet 
Holiness, experiential holiness, how to really live, what is holiness? Living your life in honor, living it with character. There are things that are experiential holiness because they are righteous and because they've been declared righteous by the Almighty. So it's essential to experiential holiness. You want to live your life in a holy manner. It's also essential to prayer, spiritual sobriety. Uh, do we ever go in front of the throne drunk with crazy wild-eyed ideas that don't match the word of God? Well, 1 Peter 4, 7 says the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. It's hard to say it any clearer than that, isn't it? When we come in front of the Lord... We come in and he says, bring all your wants, bring all your desires, bring them all in. I want to hear. Why? It's just like from our kids. We like to hear from our kids. Sometimes we don't hear from them for a while. We start wondering, what have they got into this time? Or we're wondering, are they okay? Not what have they got into. We, you know, parents ask questions. That's basically what they do. But... We want to hear from... Did you think God wants to hear from his kids? He keeps track of us all the time. You know, that's... We don't like that. I know sometimes children get upset if you put a tracker on their phone now, modern day, and you can keep track of where they are at any given point in time. You violated my privacy. Uh, part of what they, what they have to say. But what are we trying to... You know, the Heavenly Father, you can't hide from him. <laughs> Who you are, where you are, whether you got a phone, don't have a phone. He knows it all. We can't hide from him, so why try? So, a sanity is essential to prayer. It is essential also for spiritual combat. From 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. Now, we're all in the middle of combat, spiritual combat. A battle for the souls of men. I find it interesting that even some TV personalities are realizing that. It is a battle for the souls of men. Some of the liberals have, liberals, when I use that term, I mean primarily atheists or functional atheists that don't give a whit about what God's word has to say. Well, they don't even realize, but they're starting to realize that this is a battle for the souls of men. But they just don't know who the combatants are. It says, be a sober spirit. That's the way it starts, 1 Peter 5, 8. Sober spirit, be on the alert. That's our spiritual awake word. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I, you look at this, and of course people that's, that know anything about lions, especially Maasai hunters and all that, you know when a lion growls? When it's killed its prey, <laughs> it doesn't growl. It doesn't growl and scare the prey off. Because all of the animal kingdom knows the growl of a lion. It says like a roaring, roaring lion, this guy is so bold that he comes at you a lot of times full blast. But he's still looking for another person to devour. Another person to chew up. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Now, if you wanted to be a lion hunter, would you 
go get drunk before you went out into the jungle? That doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, we I've told you about the Maasai warrior before, and he was he was an evangelist. Maasai warriors in Kenya are lion hunters. That's what they do. And he was an evangelist, so he went into this into this uh, headed to the village. He was taking a young protege with him, his young Timothy with him, and they came out around a stand of tall grass, and they hear a. And he tells his young protege, freeze. Don't move. Don't speak. Of course, the young guy's going, there's a lion there. We need to run. He said, be quiet. Don't run. He said, there's a lion there. We need to run. He says, I've told you, be quiet. Stand still. Don't run. So why don't you want to run? He said, I'm a world-class sprinter. If we run, you're the one eating. <laughs> I always thought, what a lesson. <laughs> that is, sometimes. <coughs> you have to know when to stand still. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, what, what a passage that is. Be ready. Do what the Lord has called you to do. Enter into combat. And after you've suffered for a little while. What did Paul call his suffering that went on for decades? Momentary light affliction. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Momentary light affliction. What happened to him at that point in history? Read 2 Corinthians 6. And he gives a list of stuff that is more than full for anybody's lifetime. And he still had years to go. That was all that was done in 56 AD. And he made it for another 6 or 8 years. So momentary light affliction. That's how we have to view it. The second thing is to endure hardship, endure suffering. Now, <clears throat> endurance of evil is best driven by a love for others. You find it interesting that, that parents oftentimes are driven by a love for their children. Sometimes the children don't realize it. Sometimes they don't appreciate it. Most parents, normal parents, are driven by a love for their children. They really care about them. But 2 Timothy 2, 8 to 10, talks about this love-driven endurance. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things, for the sake of those who are chosen that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Paul said, it's worth it. What motivates Paul? The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. That's what motivates him. And whenever you are motivated to protect your children, it's amazing what you can endure. What you will step in front of the fire for, or into the fire for, or you'll step in front of the sword for. 
when you're motivated by love to protect your children. That's what parents do. That's what normal parents do. So endurance of evil is best driven by a love for others. If you have a love for the lost, and sometimes it's hard to love the lost. Sometimes it's hard to love the found. <laughs> sometimes they cause you, oh gosh. But anyway, it's best driven by a, a, a love for others. Whenever you care enough about their eternal salvation, you're willing to do or endure all kinds of hardships. You think about the evangelism that went on worldwide in the 1800s. And I find out now even a lot of that is under attack. What, what else would you expect? It's under attack because it was so effective. Most effective part of history, 100 years in history, found in the 1800s. Because missionaries from Europe, missionaries from the United States, they went out and they endured hardship. They went into Africa. They went into India. They went into Nepal. They went into Mongolia. They went into these, these places that did not like them. And they still went in and they still endured the hardship. Was it driven by fame? You know, there wasn't any Twitter in the 1800s, was there? You couldn't say, I led 12 souls to Christ today and put it up on Facebook for all to see. And everybody say, oh, what a great evangelist that is. We need more like them. There wasn't any way to even let people know, hardly. Maybe somebody wrote it down. Maybe the memoirs would come out after you're gone. But how would you gain any fame by doing that? It had to be love-driven in order to, to go over there and endure what they, what they endured. If you're suffering evil, then the divine prescription is prayer. Interesting, James 5.13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Something we so often forget. Is any among you suffering? Well, what you need to do is get a good accountant. What you need to do is get a good tax attorney. What you need to do is all these things that the world has to offer to fix all your problems. Have you noticed that as we go through, as we go through this society, more and more it reaches the point where there's a solution for everything except it's not spiritual. It's not. We can fix, we can fix diseases. We can fix uh, uh, problems. We can fix the way we're thinking. Interesting thing is a lot of times they want to program you to think like they do, which is basically there is no God. And so they offer solutions, psych, psychological solutions to all these problems. And what a lot of times they need to say is, you have a problem, this is what it is, and you need to get right with the Lord. It wasn't that long ago people used to actually say that to people. But now they're labeled as kooks and nuts. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Are you happy to be where you are? Then sing praises. Aren't we supposed to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials? That's that endurance and suffering of evil. We're also told to do the work of an evangelist. Now, to do the work of an evangelist requires sacrifice. First of all, we need to equip other people to serve. This uh, Ephesians 4.11 passage, whenever we 
go through seminary and things like this, and we start looking at, at it, and and then <laughs> people we get into the grammatical end of it. We get into Granville Sharp rule, and is it applicable to singulars and plurals, or just singulars, or what is it? And volumes are written about it. People argue over it. They they um, they. Uh, <laughs> shoot each other, they scholarly shoot each other though by calling each other idiots and stuff like okay, just let's read it he gave some as apostles he's talking about gifts because the Lord rose from the dead and he gave gifts to men, that's the context some as apostles so there's a gift of apostleship okay, I think there's only 12 that were given, there's only 12 gates in the new Jerusalem, I think there's only 12 gifts of apostleship for the church age. Some were designated as such. That's fine. It's an office not a gift. If that was what it was. But the 11 plus Paul. Were the apostles. given That were given gifts. And it says some as prophets. Okay. Some as evangelists. Some as pastors and teachers. Now notice those are plurals. And some say that the. That's equivalent, pastor hyphen teacher, and I really wouldn't argue with with that because. But what I do see in that that construction, because I've tracked down all the plurals all the way through the New Testament, and that Granville Sharp rule there is pretty well true through all of them, and so I'm not going to argue with the gift of pastor teacher. I'm not going to argue with separating them into pastor and teacher. I'm not going to argue with the important thing is the function. Okay. And these are important. Pastors should be able to teach. I believe that's a part of what they are called to do. But notice it is a is a gift. Now where are these gifts given? So people can strut around, try to impress people with their knowledge. It says for the equipping of the saints. Okay. To equip, to prepare, to get them ready of the saints who? The believers. So the these gifts apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher is given for the equipping of the saints for the work of service that's ministry for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ now these passages for everybody that stands in the pulpit they need to know these passages and they need to be a part of them because what is our job as Trinity Bible Church to build Trinity Bible Church or to build the body of Christ? What's our what's our job? That just told us what it is. Now, do we want to see Trinity grow? Yeah. Who wouldn't? But is that our primary goal? Because there's all kinds of ways that things can be done to manipulate people to grow a specific audience. That can be done. But what are we called to do? Teach the word. Preach the word. In season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. We know what we are called to do. And here is Paul, he says, to the building up of the body of Christ. And that's everyone who's a believer all over the world. So whatever your station is, whatever your size is, your role is to build the body of Christ. Now how do you go about doing that? Well, isn't it interesting? There's not one form specified in Scripture. There is the function. So he gives us the freedom to figure out forms by which we can fulfill the principle. 
It says, and how, how long are we supposed to do this till we all attain to the unity of the faith? That sounds like from now on <laughs> to me because where there are two people are going to be a disagreement. He says, keep working on it. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. We are supposed to become Christ-like. We're supposed to equip other people to serve. That is what a church, that is what a pastor is supposed to do. That's what the gift of apostle did, right? When the apostles went out, what did they do? Teach others how to teach others. Did they not? That's what they did. When the prophets went out, what did they do when that gift was functioning? They were able to verify what was true and what wasn't true. When the evangelist went out, what did they, where did they go? See, young um, uh, Thomas, the doubter, he's the one that went to India... And he was one of, one of these gift of apostles. And he was also an evangelist. And he walked all the way across the southern end of India, for which there are about 200 different dialects over there. He started on the west coast. He went all the way to the east coast. And he was making such headway that the Hindu priest got jealous and stuck a spear in him and killed him. And that's how he died. So that's, that's our young Thomas. The, the doubter. And he says, is that the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ? Did he give his life that others might be saved? It's exactly what he did. What was he building? The Timothy, or the, the Thomas following? It's interesting that India there, <laughs> Church of South India, uh, grew from that. And it's still in existence. It's got its wackiness about it. All churches do. But it's still in existence. The Lord looked at those guys and said, Your fruit will remain. Remember that? 2,000 years. Equip others to serve. We're supposed to do the work of an evangelist. Be hospitable to strangers. Acts chapter 21 and verse 8. On the next day we departed, came to Caesarea, entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, let's see, one of the seven what? Deacons. One of the original deacons. And it says, and we stayed with him. Here is one of these deacons that uh, comes there. What is he? Hospitable. The principle that we learn from that. So an evangelist needs to be hospitable to strangers. An evangelist, that gift, whenever it functions, and we're all to, some have the gift of evangelism, we all have the function of evangelism. And that's the way it works. We need to know how to give the gospel. If somebody is ready and the Holy Spirit's been working on them, you need to know how to lead them to the Lord. Everybody does. You need to know how to lead them to the Lord and don't say, wait a minute, I'll go get my pastor. It's, that's for you to do. He has taken you into that position. That's for you to do. Be hospitable to strangers. Counterattack the persecution. This is Acts chapter 8. I was going to read the whole all of Acts chapter 8, but you can read all of Acts 8 this week. It is a, just a beautiful picture about Philip the Evangelist 
It is uh, the Ethiopian eunuch that he meets, and the Ethiopian eunuch somehow got a copy of the scriptures, and he's reading them, and he's finding out about it, and Philip is led by the Spirit, and he goes up and starts talking to him, and the Ethiopian eunuch takes takes the gospel into Ethiopia, and there, where is Ethiopia? North Africa, and it goes from there on down Africa. That's Acts 8, one of the beginning of the gospel in Africa. Counterattack the persecution. And we don't often see that. Oftentimes with persecution we want to hide. But we run into people all the time that they figure out what the persecution is doing. They figure out another way to do it. They think about it. Counterattack. We have a much better message than they do anyway. Proclaim to Jesus... Proclaim Jesus Christ to everyone, including the tricksters. <laughs> we remember this about the, the one wanted to buy the Holy Spirit with prayer so he could bestow uh, gifts on people and the filling of the Spirit and all that. And Peter took care of that, uh, of that guy. Proclaim the kingdom of God as well. Acts chapter 8, verses 12 to 25. Now here's where we get into theological arguments that shut down the gospel. And they shouldn't. Because theologically, people go in and start saying, well, the kingdom is all about the millennial kingdom, and there's nothing about the kingdom in the church today. Well, excuse me. Looks like it is. He delivered us from the authority of Satan into the kingdom of his beloved son. But it's a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. We are not going to build a physical kingdom on earth. Jesus is. And it's going to take the defeat of all of his enemies. It's the only way it is going to happen. But we need to go tell people about the kingdom. You know, I can learn to live as a heavenly citizen without having the overt kingdom to, to live in. I can do that because how do you live as a heavenly citizen? Character, honor, faithfulness, maybe a Boy Scout. Trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. It's amazing if that's really who you are, the people that that will touch. Proclaim the kingdom of God and listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, if we learn anything out of the book of Acts, people have said frequently, and I don't disagree, that it shouldn't be called Acts of the Apostles. It should be called Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it is all about the Spirit moving in Acts, Acts 2, day of Pentecost. It is being spread into all the world from Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And as you go through there, you're going to see the way that the Spirit moves. So where he's at work, there's a, um, there was a study out 30 years ago, came out. Something like that. And uh, our ladies class um, actually went through it. Our ladies class went through the study and we spent a couple of years going through the study called Experiencing God. Had a workbook. Henry Blackaby wrote it. Uh, Baptist pastor put together some real good stuff and he wrote it and we got together and talked about it. Experiencing God. How do you see God at work? Because that's what he was teaching us. That's what Henry had figured out. And he said, yeah, you want to experience God? You know how to experience God? Obey his will. You obey his will, and then you're going to see God at work. 
That's what happens. If you're running off disobedient to his word, what makes you think you're going to get much of a glimpse of what God's up to? Just not, not going to happen. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And the last one here. So what do we got? Don't be drunk. Sanity. Okay, that we've got endure suffering. That is the next S. Do the work of an evangelist sacrifice. Because it takes sacrifice to do the work of an evangelist. And now fulfill your ministry or satisfy your potential. Because all of us have, it's called, we all have a measure of faith. We all have a, a ministry to fill up. We all have something we can do. One of the things about Jabez and, and uh, people, who, people who study the Bible, they see the prayer of Jabez found in Chronicles, buried away. And there's some good points made about that, but then somebody writes a book and it turns it into a name and claim it book. About anything you can visualize, then you can, you can make happen. We are not the creator. You know, first point of doctrine, there is a God. Point two, you're not him. So we cannot visualize things into reality. We're not called to do that. What we are called to do instead is to realize what, what he does. And Jabez, that the beautiful little prayer, I haven't taught it in years, but the little prayer of Jabez, two verses, says so much, because here is Jabez thanking the Lord. Jabez means pain. So his mom named him Pain. Okay, Isn't that fun? Is named in pain, and Jabez says, I want you to expand my borders, expand my ministry. And it, it's an interesting thing because people started thinking, well, if I just use the right words, okay, then God's going to bless me. And they're normally thinking about gold, silver, and precious stones. That wasn't what Jabez was asking for. Jabez had a ministry. Who do you think it might be toward? People enduring pain, maybe. Expand my ministry, give me more opportunities to minister. That's really what he's saying. And God did. He did, because Jabez was honoring the Lord with the prayer. Not seeking personal gain at all. And I, it just I know more than one person that deeply irritated that it came out and it got used that way. We're supposed to have a full load of living for the Lord. A full load of living for the Lord. Now, this means fill it up. Satisfy your potential. Reach out for everything that you can possibly do in service to Him. In Romans 14:4, who are you to judge the servant of another? I, I, I look at this and, you know, we, we all become masters at, at judging, don't we? There is no gift of criticism. There's a gift of discerning of spirits, one of the temporary gifts that was designed to be a counterpart of the gift of tongues. There was a gift that was given, not around anymore. So we, nobody is given the gift of uh, criticism, no matter how much we might like it. You know, we don't even need to have a gift given to us to be able to criticize. Have you known that? It just kind of comes naturally. From a time kids are small and they get grown up and they start putting words together. Mommy, why does Daddy do this? And I mean, Daddy, why does Mommy do this? And they learn to play. 
one against the other. We need a full load of living for the Lord. His own master, he stands or falls. Keep your nose out of their business. And stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Oh, some people like certain holidays. Some people don't like certain holidays. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He observes the day, observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord. He who gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord does not eat. For the Lord he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. This is the right attitude Paul's talking about. Some people celebrate Christmas. Other people don't celebrate Christmas because they think that somehow that people have goofed it up and put it in the wrong time of year. The whole world recognizes December 25th. Wars have stopped for periods of time over that. Do what is right in the eyes of all men. If you're supposed to be a Christian and you don't celebrate that, it it sure is easily confused and misunderstood who you really are. Some people celebrate various holidays. Uh, I have holidays I really like and really enjoy celebrating. And But have you ever noticed that... Remember when they used to take the flag to half-staff? really meant something? And then they started taking the flag to half-staff for anything and everything. And oftentimes you're going, who died? And you, you don't even, you don't know because they're bringing it down. Okay? And then it becomes so commonplace that you drive by and go, oh, the flag's at half-staff again. And may not know ever who it was for, why it was lowered. It minimizes it. What happens when you start making every day a holiday? What happens when you start making uh, every month a particular month? You know, we're, well, this is, this is uh, Eat Green Leaves Month or whatever it is. Marijuana Month. or I mean, you can, you can name it anything that you want to name it, but what it serves to do is minimize that which is important. And we keep adding... All of these things. Yeah, the birth of our country, July 4th. I think that's a good one to celebrate. And I'm going to, and of course, Easter. And of course, Christmas. Those are, those are good holidays. What about all the other ones? Well, they're nice little reminders. But what happened? How did we get Groundhog Day? At least they're not taking off and shutting down banks for Groundhog Day yet. But... You just never know. You minimize things to the point it doesn't mean anything. And then the stuff that means something, people don't pay any attention to. That's the way evil works. Anyway, how about a full load of living for the Lord? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for all that you have done. Father, we ask that indeed we would remember these principles of ministry. They become part of us to be sober, 
to endure hardship and suffering. Father, to sacrifice and do the work of an evangelist. And also to fill up that which you have allotted, allotted to us. May we do so to honor you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.